Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. In 1958, Charles Roberts designed a game where players took the roles of Lee and Meade to see if they could do better. Now you fight the Civil War battle in this realistic tournament game, was the slogan on the cover of Gettysburg, the first commercial Civil War history simulation game. Since then, the hobby of playing games that recreate battles and wars has expanded from tabletops to computer screens. We'll talk with the designer of some of the most innovative and influential Civil War simulation games, including Pea Ridge by SPI, The Civil War and Across Five Aprils from Victory Games, and others. He is Eric Lee Smith, and he's our guest tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road. 
Uh, just got back to town, uh, spent the afternoon in the office, but came home because there are materials here relevant to tonight's show. So that's where we're getting the broadcast from this evening, not from the campus of East Carolina University, but not representing East Carolina University, which beat UNC in the baseball series last weekend. So there's that. Uh, now, just speaking for myself, as always, the guest likewise speaks only for himself or herself on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, the first assignment for everyone this week is a uh, social media assignment. Go to Facebook, uh, even if you don't have a Facebook page. Saying I don't have a Facebook page is like intellectuals in the 60s. Oh, I don't watch TV. Uh, showing off how, how Luddite you are by not having a, a Facebook page somehow is, is cool. Actually, Facebook is like so old to my kids that, that they don't do Facebook. Only old people do it now. Uh, and then some people pretend they, they aren't interested. Even if you don't have a Facebook page, even if you're one of those, you can still look at it. Um, go to the Civil War Trust page on Facebook, which is a pretty good page. Uh, they 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 have all kinds of new things coming up all the time, news and information. And uh, scroll down till you find their entry for February 21, 2018, a week ago today. And their question of the day was, what Civil War podcasts do you listen to? And they got uh, a quick uh, dozen and a half replies or so. Many of them mentioned Civil War talk radio. But now uh, your instructions are to go to that February 21 uh, entry on Civil War Trust's Facebook page and enter your comment, uh, add to the, the 17 or 18 that are already there, with your uh, uh, Civil War podcast of choice, which could be this one or another one. But if we could go from 17 or 18 comments to all 1,000 people who like the Impediments of War page or all 20,000 who uh, click on the show every couple weeks, 40,000 every month, we could blow that site right up uh, with an avalanche of comments. So uh, check it out, Civil War Trust on Facebook, uh, February 21, 2018. Since... The last show, last Wednesday, I've been away from uh, from Greenville, or at least since Saturday, uh, on the very interesting program sponsored by Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours. Uh, you've heard me talk about this hallowed ground, a, a really great tour that I enjoy giving uh, on their behalf every year. Uh, this year's uh, version, the, the one that I'm running, is, is already sold out. I'm, Sorry if you weren't able to get involved, but uh, look ahead to the following year and, and, and please come along. And there are others who offer the same. Uh, they have other tour leaders besides myself. Uh, uh, Jack Mountcastle, who you've heard on this show, is, is one of them. He's former chief of military history for the U.S. Army. He knows his stuff. Anyway, this past uh, week, starting last Saturday and still going on now for that matter, is a program on, uh, in New Orleans that the Stephen Ambrose people are sponsoring. That's where they're based. And they've created a leadership seminar where they invited uh, guests. They, they filled up the bus, got over you know, some 45 people or so, plus a group of us who lead their tours, uh, Jack, myself, uh, others who do Revolutionary War or 1812 or 
uh, especially the World War II, which Stephen Ambrose uh, tours specializes in. So I spent a few days down in New Orleans giving talks on uh, Civil War and hopefully encouraging people to study that era and really uh, really enjoying the experience. So we'll talk about it for a short time here before we get to our guest. First of all, this was the first time I'd been to New Orleans since before Katrina, and everything there is before or after the hurricane, uh, even though it was over a dozen years ago now. It, the, the impact is still there. It's quite dramatic. Uh, we, especially we went down to uh, Plaquemines Parish, down to the, the mouth of the Mississippi River, where uh, our local guide explained every building we saw dated uh, post-2005. Literally everything was swept away. The, the water was 15 feet deep over that part of the country, and it, it, it's... Uh, that included uh, a site like Fort Jackson. We were given the opportunity to visit Fort Jackson. Of course, uh, you recall in 1862, the Union had to sail past Forts St. Philip and Jackson to get to New Orleans. And Fort Jackson is no longer open to the public because of the damage done uh, during the hurricane. And a recent uh, local flood left the inside coated with a layer of mud, but the local administration of the, the, the parish did open it up just for our tour, so we, we got to walk inside there. You can see this on Facebook also. The Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours Company has its own Facebook page, and they've been putting up little snippets of 30-second video from uh, people on the tour that's still going on as we speak. Uh, I recorded a couple of those, so you can not only hear my voice but see me. I clearly have a face and figure made for podcasting. Uh, so the video, not so great, but you can see uh, see that and, and see Fort Jackson in the background. We went to a lot of interesting sites that really brought home to me the state of Civil War study and public history today in, in, in various ways. One we saw was Oak Alley, the plantation. If you ever are in the New Orleans area, make it a point to visit Oak Alley. I last saw it on a steamboat tour uh, with Harvard Alumni Association that I was speaking for because, and you may not be aware of this, but I actually went to Harvard University at one time. I don't think I've mentioned that in 15 or 20 minutes. So, uh, yes, uh, we got to see Oak Alley. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's a, the classic southern plantation with two rows of stately, gnarly, live oaks out in front leading up to the grand big house. And the last time I saw it, uh, many years ago, the tour told us about all the furnishings of each room, where they were purchased, what their value was, who purchased them, how they came down through the family, uh, discussion of the architecture of the house. Uh, the, 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 it was all about the house and the owners of the house. I picked up a, a uh, coloring book while I was there of plantations and I'm looking at it right now. It has a picture of Oak Alley on one page and other plantations on the other. And it's emblematic of the, the interpretation that you saw 15 or 20 years ago at these plantations. Uh, for example, it says uh, in this coloring book uh, on the page after Oak Alley, here's Nottoway, 1859. 
the 64 rooms, 200 windows. Today, you can even spend the weekend at Nottoway. Maybe you can imagine what it was like to be a child in the mid-1800s. And I immediately think, maybe you can imagine the screams of your older brother as he's uh, lashed for not doing his job fast enough. Maybe you can imagine the sight of your mother for the last time as she sold to another plantation. That's what it's like to be a child in the 1800s. Uh, clearly, the author of the book meant, oh, the white children of the 1800s, but not a thought for the people who built the plantation and made it profitable. And Oak Alley today is 180 degrees from what it was 15 years ago. You see the magnificent oaks in front, the big house, and you go behind and there are the cabins recreated uh, with a very impressive and thoughtful exhibit in these recreated cabins that the, the the workers of the plantation lived in. On one wall in particular, there was uh, one exhibit explained how the the enslaved people are known to historians today only as from inventory documents, from bills of sale, from uh, uh, from plantation records. We know very little about them as individuals. So on one wall, the the interpretive staff has written the names, usually just a first name, of all 220 people that they could identify as being associated with Oak Alley uh, as, uh, as slave labor. And so this is our, our way of, we can't know their stories, but we can at least remember their names if we can't remember uh, anything else about them as as people. It, I, I was extraordinarily moved by that uh, interpretation and, and memory the house overall and, and and let me be very clear the house does not preach it's not moralistic it doesn't make the owners look like bad guys or the enslaved people look like uh, heroes it's just about people from another time and how they lived but it's about all the people who were there not just the people who owned the place the way it was 20 years ago that gave me a lot of hope uh, for for public history telling a story of all Americans, not just a few. In contrast, we also visited Memorial Hall, the uh, original Confederate museum dating back to 1891, uh, where it was clear there are some people still fighting the rearguard action that uh, the Civil War was not about slavery. Uh, Well, I could go on for the rest of the hour. That would be unfair to Eric Lee Smith, our guest tonight. He's the designer of some of the most important games designed about the American Civil War. How can a game be important? Uh, The only way to answer that is to find out and and talk. Um, Eric, are you there? Yes, hi. Hi, Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. So... um, you and I have corresponded a bit. We haven't had a chance to talk much, uh, and uh, I, but I feel like I've known you for, for decades because I remember <laughs> when uh, when the game P Ridge came out, uh, the old SPI game in in the seventies, or, or the yeah. Civil War, the Victory Games, nineteen eighty. Um, those, those I played them over and over and uh, learned a lot, and they helped confirm my path as a Civil War historian. Uh, so let, let me start start with your beginning. What what got you into history or, or Civil War history in particular? Well, I'm a Texan, so there's uh, we have a lot of interest in that in general. I grew up with an uncle that 
talked uh, Texas history just nonstop and always loved hearing him talk. So I always had an interest in it, even as a young kid. Um, but what really got me into it was my brother Clayton, my younger brother Clayton, got Avalon Hills Gettysburg game, and we started playing that. And we kind of discovered these military simulation games, and they captivated me, and I you know, got really interested in them. And that's where my interest in history was really stoked by these games. I also had an incident. Um, my family, my Smiths, um, Smith is a hard name to do research on. That's a common last name, right? Most common in English. But if they're prominent, you can do it. And I, I was fortunate enough to have a few family stories about my you know, great-great-grandfather who had been in the Civil War. And I discovered um, a fact that had been lost in my family. I was in junior college, and we took a civics class down to uh, Austin. And we're walking into the rotunda of the Capitol, and there's the Declaration of Secession from the Union hanging in a glass case. So I walked up to it, and I saw a distinctive signature that said, Gid Smith. I went, whoa, could that be R. Gid Smith? And while the rest of the class went in to talk to the governor, I walked over to the archive and, stuck, and spoke to the archivist and said, is there a book or something about the secession convention? And the woman said, sure, here it is, and handed it to me, and I looked up. Kid Smith, and by God, there he was, right from the right town and county. So that began an odyssey for me that continues to this day, um, just checking in on him and what's coming up. Uh, you know, I just found his battle report, which appears in the new game that I've just published. Um, I always thought he was at Pea Ridge, but I wasn't absolutely sure. But now I'm absolutely sure, because within a week of the battle, he wrote a detailed um, letter to his local newspaper. Well, my, my interest in, in history goes back to games, and the games reinforce my interest in history. And I, I read more than military history, too. I read a lot of presidential history and social history as well. Well, I want to ask you about your uh, your, your ancestor who, who fought at Pea Ridge mm -hmm. and other questions about that. I talked so long, we already have to go to our first break, and I apologize for that. But we're going to take a short break. We'll come right back mm -hmm. talk with Eric Smith, designer of many important games on the American Civil War. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, 
like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Eric Smith, designer of Victory Games' uh, production called The Civil War, another one called Across Five Aprils, brand new games from Compass Games called Battle Him. It covers several battles of the Civil War. He's a designer of Civil War games and other historical games. Uh, Eric, in the first segment, you mentioned your your uh, great-great-grandfather, Gideon Smith, uh, possibly being at Pea Ridge, and you've confirmed that with your recent research. That leads me to quote possibly the most famous optional rule in all wargaming history, uh, <laughs> From the game P. Ridge of 1980, um, there's section 29, Union Leader Replacement, section 30, Confederate Indians, section 31, Van Dorn's Ill Health, section 32, the designer's great-great-grandfather. If the 9th Texas Cavalry suffers a loss in battle, Confederate player rolls a die on a roll of six, it's Gideon's company. Roll again, one or two, and Captain Gideon has died gloriously leading his troops. Since he has been killed, the designer was never born. The game ends immediately with neither player the victor. It's a meta game, a game about the game. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You must have gotten feedback about that over the years. Oh, yeah. It seems like everybody that read that rule remembers it to this day. Uh, It's funny. Yeah, I had a little extra room there, so I I decided to go ahead and put it in, and... uh, People got a big kick out of it. Now, that game was designed for uh, SPI, Simulations yeah. Publications Incorporated, the, the people who did Strategy and Tactics magazine. Uh, in many ways, the the real creators after Avalon Hill of the whole war game movement. Uh, just as, as sort of a fan, I'd, I'd have to ask, what was it like working with those guys? Well, I moved to New York City. I got accepted to four different art schools, um, California and New Mexico, Philadelphia, and New York, and well, SPI was in New York, so I, I took, a, I went to Pratt, and I volunteered as a playtester, and I did a good job, and I was under, you know, volunteer, and then I got a little office job, a minimum wage job, you know, running the copy machines and making 
play test maps. And I got a, then got a chance to design my first game called the Alamo, and right out of the gate, it was nominated for Best War Game of the Year. It didn't win, but it got nominated. And it was off to the races from that. So SPI was absolutely um, really the key to a lot of my career, not just in the gaming side of it either, because I spent a lot of my career in software development. But I never worked with a guy like Redmond Simonson before, who was the most mm. um, organized and the most um, systematic thinker and created this fantastically uh, productive company. I mean, it was, and we were children. I mean, I was 21 when I did P. Rich. I mean, and Nick Carp was like, he was still in high school. And, you know, Mark Herman was older. He was like 23. And we were just kids. And somehow or another, Redmond and Jim, the two co-founders there, created a system to enable ardent young people to succeed designing games. And it was phenomenal to be a part of that. Uh, I'd, at uh, the Origins Convention 1978, it was in Ann Arbor where I was in school. And I, so I was helping be a gopher for the organizers and I was given the assignment to escort uh, Redmond Simonson around and you know I was like wow you know heroes worship uh, and and he was the nicest guy he he was was to a uh, talk your ear off (laughs) yes but he he invented a a graphic system now you mentioned art school and I wanted and and also software development Uh, does anyone make a living designing games like this or do most people do other things Um, do you think most people do other things Um, there People make a living now being publishers. Back in the day, it was very, very difficult to be a publisher because everything was typewriters and, you know, and everything was typesetting. And it was, you know, it was very, very complicated and very expensive. And there were very few publishing companies. But today with computers, there are quite a few. I mean, Compass is essentially a two-man operation. And there's, you know, lock and loads, maybe four-man operation. And there are other ones. So those people, I think, make a living. Um, (laughs) And people make sometimes make a very good living if they have a hit hit game um, in the Euro game space, like Alan Moon with his Ticket to Ride game, who I, mm-hmm. I've known Alan. He used to be at Avalon Hill when I was at Victory, so I knew him there. And uh, now he's got a game that sold millions of copies, and more power to him. Uh, you mentioned Victory games. After SPI uh, ceased operations as a going concern, mm-hmm. uh in many ways, its spiritual successor was a company called Victory Games Inc. that uh, produced yeah. games that not only were, were as smart as the SPI games and insightful, but had really uh, had great graphics as the SPI yeah. games did as well. But but ad, but technology was changing. There was more color. There was more uh, more more options. We had, a little, we had a little more time, so we could add examples to the rules. That was the big thing we did. Um, we did other things, too. But I should clarify, though, that Victory Games was created while SPI was still um, there. It was okay. a source of a, a hostile takeover from TSR. And we game designers and the art department said, oh, we're not going with you guys. So we went, you know, we jumped ship and started a division of the Avalon Hill Game Company. Rather than deal with this unpleasant people that we met um, do this takeover, but SPI mm-hmm. did continue, and they did do some good yeah. work after. Um, but it, it never really gelled there because they they lost the heart of the company when they didn't get the talent to go with them. Um, no, no. And Victory Games had a lot of talent. Uh, your game called the Civil War, eighteen sixty one, eighteen sixty five, 
was again a, a landmark in uh, in in having to me. It, it, and at that point, I, I was had majored in history and was starting to think about history as a profession. I put it off, went to law school instead for a while. But I could see in in that game that there was a thesis, that there was an argument. It was not just pushing pieces around, but leadership was central. You 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 evaluated each general and in for different qualities and that that was really what the what that game turned around uh, yeah, was that it, a it conscious around, decision it turned around a couple of things it turned around the economy of the south too i very carefully um placed um points um that added up to a hundred so a hundred percent of the southern economy by states and I, I did the research and figure out where the which cities were the most important so it does also have this grinding down thing of the Civil War, where you, the more more of your economy you lose, the less likely you are to be able to have another counteroffensive. And it sort of plays historically without any real special rules. It's just the way the uh, game was designed features leaders for movement and the economy to sustain you. And without any rules on the economy, it's just the way it is. It's just victory points. But it, and you lose enough of them, and your arm, your country starts falling apart. It's one of the marks, I think, of a well-thought-out game that if you play it historically or that you'll see historical mm-hmm. things happen in, by analogy in this. Um, the oh, So many things to ask. A research process. Um, you you mm-hmm. mentioned researching the, the economy uh, for this game. How did you go about doing that? Did you have... Did you study history? Did you have formal training? Did you just read a lot? I had, I have, I have um, informal training, um, and I have the training that I was given at SPI, um, and I've always been a bookhound, so I've I've been able to um, collect books and to understand uh, how to use them. And uh, games are a specific. You, you ask you ask uh, different questions of books when you do games. I'll give you an example of that. I was mm-hmm. a, the developer on a, a big Antietam game at SPI, and the map was incredible, right? Beautiful map, a lot of roads, a lot of bri- you know. It was, it was, but I noticed that on the far western side of the map, suddenly there weren't that many roads, and I realized why was history books, the Army didn't go there, so they didn't draw in the roads there. So if you used the, even the great Carmen Cope maps that look like they have every fence post, well, they do but only in the places where the armies went. So if you're doing a war game, you have to, they could have gone that direction. So I had to go and find the roads, road network outside of the areas where the armies went. So that's some of the kind of history research you have to do. You can't just look at what happened. You, you have to look at what could have happened. I found the economy very difficult to find information on about the Civil War. I mean, there's some books that I have, you know, Confederate Supply, for example, is a little thin book, very, very good. And um, well, there are others. Uh, Confederate Finance is another book that I found very useful. Um, but yeah, it's not as to write about that as it is about yet another battle. The, um, the, the Antietam research in your... Uh, your designer's notes to the game Across Five Aprils, you mentioned mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, now, that's a game that has five different games in one box. You, you can play battles mm-hmm. of uh, you know, Manassas, Gettysburg, uh, Shiloh, Pea Ridge, 
and Bentonville. So first question, yeah. since I'm here in North Carolina uh, now, why Bentonville, uh, along with all the other better-known battles? Yeah, I, I wanted to do Bentonville because it hadn't been done and because it was very small. And I wanted a game that you could set up and play in an hour and, Benton, and yet be balanced. And it's a, it's a fun little game. I don't know if you played it, but it's mm-hmm. just a surprise attack. And it lasts, I think, five or six turns. And you, know, you can play it two or three times in an evening. And it's, it's, it's really not a um, – I wouldn't call it a great game per se, but it's, it's, it's amusing and it's a good entry to the system. Now, I am working on a game design of Bentonville that covers the entire three days and is much more of a serious game for my new game system. And I'm going to try to put in on um, – make the, the union in that game – um, of pure solitaire response hmm. to this small Confederate force that's out there causing trouble. Um, so Bentonville, that's how Bentonville got into the game. And it's still a, an understudied, it's a tragic, I mean, it should have never happened. I mean, what a tragedy that battle was. I mean, most people died for nothing. The war was over. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting historical artifact to look at. It, it is, I... It, when I first went to Bentonville after moving here to North Carolina, I took the Across April's map with me, uh, along with other maps. But I was curious to see how how the ground lined up compared to your analysis of it, as well as yeah. the, the more standard maps. But that points to a way you mentioned uh, uh, playing a game solitaire, having the the game system move one side's counters and, and the player does the other. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people play that way. I know I tend to use games not as competitive exercises, but if I visit a place like Bentonville, I'll want to come back, set up the mm-hmm. game, put the armies on the map, the, the, the little cardboard half-inch counters that represent divisions and brigades in their historical positions, and then just sort of move them around and say, okay, here's where Sherman went, here's where Bragg went, and here's how things were moved on that day. And I'm not really playing to see who wins. I'm just using it to recreate the movements and, and help understand the battle more clearly. It's like a, a map with moving pieces as opposed to a, a printed map. Yeah. Well, you know, I, for Bentonville this, this next time, I've actually done more research and I found some additional things. And it's people, no one knows um, some, some questions. I've called the foremost you know, historian expert on the Battle of Bentonville is this guy, Mark Moore. Mm-hmm. And I called him and asked him, said, so, okay, you know, they had this fence, this woods lying here, and then there shows this big, gigantic open field behind it. Was that really true? And he said, well, nobody really knows. Huh. <laughs> like, really? Well, that makes a big difference when you're doing a war game, because it's one thing to break through a tree line, and you're suddenly facing, you know, a thousand yards of open ground, as opposed to it being a forest. And he... He said, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of, that's unknown that's never been properly surveyed at Bentonville. Now, that said, it's better now than it was you know, back in the 80s when I did my first version. My new map, mm-hmm. which I'll send, you, send along to you, by the way, for your amusement, Great. has got you. You know, a lot more detail and a lot more accuracy in it. Um, but I'm still making some guesses on the woods because you know, the expert that everybody depends on couldn't help me. No, I had another, I I had another experience like that back at yeah, FBI. When I was doing Pea Ridge, um, there's this mob called Missouri State Guard, which is essentially a bunch of an armed mob. And I was like, well, how, you know, history was like, well, there's somewhere between, 
you know, 500 and 1,000 guys there. And I'm like, well, how many, you know? And um, <laughs> what was it 500 and 5,000? I mean, it was just all over the place. So I wrote a, um, a letter uh, to Edwin Bears, a great American historian, who at yeah. one time had been at Pea Ridge. And I said, you know, here's my analysis. These regiments, you know, this is my strengths. And he, he, wrote, he was very kind and wrote me back and said, Yes, I think that your totals are approximately right, and the good news is that no one can question you on it because no one really knows. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" So, no, it, you know, you take an educated true. guess, and it's as good as Edwin Bears, you know. When you can do that, and and given that, uh, it, that's one of the things about these games that because they create hypothetical situations, they they force designers to ask different historical questions about what was the the terrain like uh, just off the known battlefield because the armies yeah. could have gone there. Now, uh, we're going to have to take another short break, but I, I should have probably done this uh, given my legalistic uh, turn at the start of the show and, and confessed that I have uh, worked a little bit with you on your upcoming project called Battle yeah. and your designed games on uh, again, the battles of, of Gettysburg and Pea Ridge. And when I saw you were doing that, I wrote to you because one thing I've noticed is that most war game designers are not particularly good writers. And when I see grammatical errors uh, or, or even logical inconsistencies in the writing, it, it grinds me because uh, they could do so much better. And I thought, this guy's work has been really good. I'll offer to proofread for him. Uh, we're going to leave our listeners hanging with the outcome of that story uh, as we take yeah. another short break and come right back. Today, I'm talking with Eric Lee Smith, designer of the forthcoming games Battle Him, as well as other games about the American Civil War. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm talking today with historical game designer Eric Lee Smith, designer of Across Five Aprils and Mosby's Raiders and uh, the current game from Compass Games called Battle Hymn on the Battles of Gettysburg and Pea Ridge. We've been talking about these various games, in particular the current project, the uh, the Battle Hymn games, which uh, I have seen in, in their prototype form. They're, they are, I guess, to be published right now. It, it, yeah, has the game week. actually come out next week? Um, I have the actual copies in my hand, ah. and they're shipping next week. So uh, how does that... In that game, you, you once again portray the battles of Gettysburg and Pea Ridge, which appear in mm-hmm. your, your game Across Five Aprils of, uh, that came out uh, over 20 years ago. How has the, the state of design progressed since then? What, what's different about the um, new ones? Well, there's two things. There's one, the, the leading question about the editing you were going to do, you're going to stick, you're going to tag me for my... I'll address the question. Um, the The game is is essentially designed as a computer game. It came out as a computer game uh, from Slytherin, uh, the Gettysburg to Tide Turns. So it, it's a uh, it's similar to Across Five Aprils in that it's not a especially complicated. However, it has a, a really different kind of combat system, which is much more realistic and much more attritional, and and, and generates um, results that are uh, more realistic. It always sort of bothered me that um, a lot of the Civil War games, they would have these these combat systems that to me just didn't reflect what I was reading. Um, so that's really what I concentrated on was making a fun, fun um, combat system that generated results that felt real, more real. A lot of retreating and a lot of attrition, a lot of demoralization. And um, and a little bit of initiative you can control when your combat happens, and that gives you an edge, which should be decisive if you play well. Now, you mentioned uh, computer design and that you've had a career in, in software development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, at, at different times, people have proclaimed uh, you know, board games, uh, war games at least, are, are over. Uh, why not play it on the screen where the computer can process so much more information uh, instead of a 20-page rule book or even a 40-page rule book that's a challenge to remember? Let the computer mm-hmm. do all the work. Uh, but but the, the death of board wargaming seems to be exaggerated. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain... What I like about board wargaming is that nothing's hidden from you, so you can understand all the systems and how it works. And... Mm. Whereas computers oftentimes hide a lot of the fun stuff that's going on, and, and you can kind of discern over time what it's, how it works. But some of the computer games I've done, I've always exposed to the player. Um, you can actually go in there and see how, how it works, because that's, I think that's part of the pleasure of these games is, is seeing you know, the mechanics of how they work. And I personally read, read game rules for fun just to see what, game systems people are coming up with. So uh, they both they both exist side by side. Computer games are always sell more. Um, mm-hmm. They tend to be they tend to be much less serious as simulations. Um, and and that so. yeah, I mean I think that's an important point. The the transparency of the the board game format. If if the designer's algorithm is such that 
he or she thinks uh, a three to one superiority in a tactical situation should usually yield a certain result. Uh, you can you can see that that's what their their assumption was in the the board game because you can see the charts and the the rules in a computer game. All you know is you move a unit against another unit and you get a result. You don't know if that was a fluke or if that was the designer's mm-hmm. assumption. Uh, so yeah. so if, if you're serious about using the the game as a tool to better understand the battle, then then the board game has that that real advantage. Um, yeah. So. Uh, uh, you mentioned a couple of phrases we've we've gone along. One was uh, develop, and another was play test. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who who've never seen one of these games, what 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 does that process involve? What is game development or play testing? It's different than in the computer industry. Development means you're a programmer. In the um, mm-hmm. board game industry, it means you're basically the person that sees the manuscript through to the end. You run the play testing. And you're you're responsible for the you know for the execution of the final components, and sometimes you write the rules. You certainly edit them, um, and there are game designers like myself that do both. I'm both a designer and a developer. John Butterfield is too. There are others of us out there, but it's not unusual for teams so for a designer to design and then a developer to take those other roles, um, and that's been that, been like that for 50 years in the board gaming industry at least. It, and, and it's a critical, is, yeah. And playtesting you know, is nothing more. And there's two. There's a couple of times types of playtesting. Um, there's the face to face where the designer's there and he can explain things. Then there's the kind where the designer expects you to actually read the rules. And then there's a kind where the designer doesn't want to be there and you can only ask questions of the rules. And it's called blind testing, and that's really important because a lot of games suffer if they don't get some blind testing. Because you you're assuming that your play testers are playing it correctly or whatever, and they may not be, um, and that comes out really quickly when you start blind testing your rules, depending on how well they're written. And I want to get back to the comment you made about the rules mm-hmm. edit that you did for me. Okay. I've been in the industry for many, many, many years um, since the late '70s, and I tell you, your edit was, I mean, epic. Uh, nothing short of epic. <laughs> A really helpful and extraordinary attention to detail. I, I'm very grateful to you for it. I mean, you, you, you mainly caught the things that the kind of embarrassing things and misuse of that and which and mm-hmm. commas here and there, and but other things too. I mean, I was remarkable, and it took me, by the way, the better part of two solid days to get it all transmitted correctly to the <laughs> to the typesetting team. You know, make sure that. All those corrections got in, but I'm glad they did. Well, well, thank you. I, I will say you mentioned you read rules uh, as a hobby, and this is going to sound even geekier. I will, I edit rules as a hobby sometimes. I, I don't often play games with opponents. Uh, another Wade Dudley, professor at East Carolina, and I uh, try to spend Friday afternoons playing games with students to uh, encourage mm-hmm. them to to get excited about history through the game format. But typically, uh, I'll read a set of rules. I may not even, I might set the counters up, but I won't actually play it. But as I'm reading the rules, I'm saying, oh, you know, comma fault, you know, uh, plural singular uh, problem here. And so I'll start retyping it, and then I'll think, well, you could change, you, you could edit this down from 15 pages to eight if you just 
wrote more mm-hmm. tightly. And so uh, I'd, I'd always wanted to actually do that with someone's rules before they came out. Uh, but yours were are, are well written. I, I will say they're not full of the, the mm-hmm. sophomore level mistakes that a lot of them are. But I would I tried to apply the kind of standards I would apply if I were copy editing someone's work, um, if I were working with a student finishing a thesis, and add that you know bring it to a professional historical standard, because I do think there's there's room for communication between professional academic history and wargaming uh, mm-hmm. both sides can learn from each other I think and, and there, there's you don't find too many professors who are interested in games who will take them seriously and you do find some gamers who will turn their noses up at academic historians because we're all ivory tower we don't really care about the important <laughs> things uh, yeah so uh, you probably well, heard would, that again I, I, I having gone through SPI, SBI, believe it or not, they were very much about clarity of writing. Again, it comes back to Redmond yeah. and the editorial team there. I mean, as opposed to Avalon Hill, in Avalon Hill, no two game rules sets were the same style. Um, and so I was I was raised to take it very seriously, and I do take it seriously, and I, I kind of enjoy writing rules. And I'm, you know, I, I'm also a big stickler, and you saw this, for examples. Yes. And, you know, I go, I, I take a lot of time and effort on my examples and I, it goes back if you look at my victory games all of them all of the games that are where i had control of the final look of the manuscript all had extensive examples well they they use um a, a set of uh, not sidebars but but you had two columns uh, uh, on each page uh, the main text column slightly wider than the other one, but the other one is a sort of running commentary with examples mm-hmm. or explanations of a rule, it, which is analogous to me to the the, the footnotes that uh, an mm-hmm. academic historian provides, explaining here's how I got this information, here's how it fits in, uh, and that that really was a at the time revolutionary way to present game rules, yeah. but made it just pleasurable to read and interesting and 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 it was transparent you explain why the given rule is the way it is which also helped with the clarity because as you mentioned with play testing uh you get the phenomenon where a designer has a brilliant brainchild they know exactly how it's supposed to work they write down a few sentences that they can understand and then they publish it and the whole <laughs> world reads it and goes well, how do you play this game right uh, you need the designer there to right. tell you and that that's that's very yeah. frustrating when that happens. Redmond called, you know, the more innovative a system, the more likely it would give the user a cold bath. <laughs> and it's one of the many aphorisms he would use. And the, the cold bath effect, like the Civil War, I mean, that was an overwritten set of rules with examples all over the place because the system was so unusual that you just had to. I just felt we had to, had to do it, had to have examples on almost, you know, Many on every page, some visual, some non, but just all over the place to just to get people over the hump, you know. And, learning what, and and people who play these games, they play more than one, and then they take assumptions from one game to the mm-hmm. next, uh, and and that they may not be valid in the next game. Yeah, so. like the most most common type of game is, is you know, I go, you go, you move, I move, right. you move, I move. The Civil right. War wasn't like that at all. It's not like that in um, Battlehem either, or you know, several of my games, Panzer Command and Cross Five Aprils. You just can't assume that it's what you know. 
from the past. And and again, that gets fun, back to my opinion. Well, it does, but it, it, it's also there's a level of insight there, and that goes back to what I was saying about the the Civil War mm-hmm. game, where leadership uh, is is one of the, the 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 arguments underlying the game, one of the the analyses. Uh, the your games that, that look at individual battles, like Gettysburg or Pea Ridge. Mm-hmm. Start from an assumption that the general in command has a limited amount of control over the troops, cannot simply move them like chess pieces, uh, and you use different mechanisms to to limit that, and and that gives the player a a sense of an experiential sense of of what it's like to command these armies, that your will is not not necessarily what's going to happen. Yes, exactly and, right. So um, then we have just a, a minute or so left. Uh, I have to ask the question I ask most guests on the show when I remember to, and I have this time. The Civil War time machine is my own creation. It gives you the opportunity to go back in history for 30 minutes, talk to anyone in any period, although it's called Civil mm. War. Well, if you could go back in history, talk to anyone for 30 minutes, who would you talk to? What would you say? Oh, it's an possible, impossible question to, to um, answer, but I think, I think from the Civil War, I, I would like to be there uh, when Grant decided that he was going to take this huge risk to sail around Vicksburg and land in the South and be out of supply and do that whole, that was the transcendental risk, uh, the turning point of the war, and he did all that on himself, and he didn't talk to anybody about it. there's nothing written about that much. I mean, he just, mm-hmm. and I would love to, you know, be able to talk to him about that because that, that was the decisive, that was a decisive blow as far as I'm concerned in the Civil War. Uh, a great time to be a fly on the wall. Uh, if listeners yeah. want to get some of these games, uh, the, the one that's currently coming out here uh, at the beginning of March 2018 is called Battle Hymn, and the publisher is Compass Games, is that correct? That's correct, yes. And they have a so good website, it, um, and uh, you can order the games there. It's also sold in, you know, in hobby stores as well. But, um, yeah, they have a, a website. I can get the URL up here in just a second and tell you what it is. It's compassgames.com, surprisingly enough. That yeah. works. So, listeners, works. go to compassgames.com. Check out Oh, and by the way, if him. you go there now, if you go mm-hmm. there now, you can download the rules and actually check it out. See if you... I think it'd be something of, of interest. You can download the rules and read them. All the better. You'd say, try before you buy, read the rules, see what this is all about, a new way to look at Civil War battles. Uh, it has been a, a great pleasure talking with our guest tonight, Eric Lee Smith. Eric, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Got some more games coming out this year, so all right. look forward to doing it again. All right. And listen, listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.